You're listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to a new episode of the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me today are Jeff Branke and Anna Wells. We're the editors of Manufacturing.net and Industrial Equipment News, and we each have about 15 years of experience covering the manufacturing industry. Each week, we take the five most popular stories on our websites and discuss the implications they have on the industry moving forward. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You could also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review review on whatever platform you use. Finally, to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, David, or Anna at IEN.com with email the so- podcast in the subject line. Anna, how are you doing this week? Good. I feel like this is going to be a good episode. We've hardly seen David at all this week because things have been very disruptive as for everyone. Yeah. Um, so I feel like it's going to be a crazy episode. Yeah, it was this is like my fifth hour in the office because a uh, teacher caught COVID. So it was also a low stress week, luckily. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. You can tell with how strongly you came in. Yeah. yeah. Like you're definitely low stress, just relaxed. Yeah, just, yeah, just, you just seem you know, super chill. My shoulders are like at my ears. <laughs> Hi! <laughs> <laughs> no, it should be fine. I'm, I'm talking really fast. So if all the words just kind of bleed together, I'm sorry. Like just slow it down a step and piece it together. <laughs> all right. Let's jump into our first story this week. Great resignation, not as great as it seems. This week, Jay Zagorski from Boston University challenged the great resignation. He says it might not be as great as it seems, as you have indicated from the headline. On January 4th, 2022, it was reported that 4.5 million people voluntarily left their position in November. It works out to about 3% of the workforce and was an all-time high, reportedly. The quitting data comes from the Bureau of Labor Statistics and its monthly job openings and labor turnover survey, or the JOLTS survey. The agency gets information from 20,000 businesses and government agencies to estimate how many people quit, retired, got hired, or got fired. Some 33 million people left their positions since April 2021, which is more than a fifth of the total U.S. workforce. At issue is whether or not This is a record because the historical data only goes back about 20 years. So, sure, it's bad, but Anna, it could have been worse, right? I guess. I think also at issue is um, the fact that Zagorski kind of points out that certain industries are dragging this number. So, Mm -hmm. like, if you look at, um, I think it's hospitality, retail, Mm -hmm. those kind of um, positions that are notoriously lower paid, they have seen a lot of departures, and, and in November they saw a lot. That kind of dragged down the average, I think, um, as it relates to all the industries as a whole, looking at that. Mm-hmm. So I will concede that. But when we look at monthly departures and manufacturing in November, it was it was lower than average, as the as the author kind of pointed out in the article. But are we accounting for the fact that the manufacturing industry was already facing like a skill shortage and a worker mm-hmm. shortage even yeah. prior to the pandemic. Because if the point of the report is to say that things are not as bad as they seem, I get that on a monthly basis that there aren't as many manufacturers work, you know, workers quitting than there were before. But if you look at the industry in the context of starting the pandemic behind, mm-hmm. then we're still in a pretty deep hole in terms of open positions. Like in November of 2020, for example, there are about 500,000 open positions in manufacturing. In November of 2021, there were closer to 900,000, meaning this problem isn't exactly getting better. So I think if the intention of the article is to clear up misleading headlines, let's not further mislead by assuming that this means that there's no jobs problem because there is a jobs problem. I mean, like yeah. if you look at some of the data that's come out recently, like Deloitte and the Manufacturing Institute are really good at keeping tabs on this. Um, they reported in mid-2021 that they're predicting that by 2030, 2.1 million jobs in manufacturing could go unfilled. Mm-hmm. It's not a new problem. I don't yeah. think that we should take from this article that that there's no problem. I mean, right. there is a problem. No, I think the article was more of a, it's bad, <laughs> but it's not the worst. Maybe. <laughs> right. Exactly. I just, you know, like it, I, to me, it was sort of like, like it, it set out to, to clear things up and, but yeah. it's just, now it's another headline that I feel like is also yeah. unclear. Yeah. Uh, so Jeff, he talks about how, you know, before they started taking this information down that there was the dot com bubble in the late 1990s and early 2000s. And, you know, after world war two, the post-war American economy was booming and was in flux. So those are both 
two periods that likely saw higher rates of quitting. Uh, what did you think of his take on the Great Resignation? Yeah, I think this falls into the same sort of categories. Another story we're going to discuss in a little bit of it's offered in the right spirit in mm-hmm. terms of, Agreed. hey, historically, this isn't that crazy. Yeah. But that doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, I always do appreciate when when authors or researchers try to offer historical perspective on situations. Mm-hmm. I think that is beneficial and that does is helpful because it helps us to understand we will move past this. Yeah. We'll be okay with time, mm-hmm. which we all know. The thing is, we have gotten so used to six-month product life cycles, mm-hmm. immediate response, next day shipping from Amazon, all those types of things where there is just an immediate reaction or immediate correction to whatever our problem is. This yeah. is going to take a long time. This yeah. is going to take longer than we anticipated, partly or mainly because we're not over this yet. Oh, We've yeah. had a global pandemic that rocked everything to its core and we're still in the midst of it, mm-hmm. regardless of what anybody says. So I think it's good to offer perspective, but at the same time, to Anna's point, <laughs> if you're a manufacturer struggling to get product out the door, this does not help you. It doesn't. No, this, this actually kind of adds fuel to those who don't feel it is that big of a problem, when the reality is it is. We still have... We've talked about the the Port of L.A. having huge record number of, of traffic coming through mm-hmm. there. We talked about the Suez Canal. Despite it being shut down basically for a week, it set a record. Yeah. So consumer demand is still strong. We still have people who are buying stuff, wanting stuff. We can't make enough stuff because we don't have enough people producing it, delivering it, putting it on the shelves. Yeah. And the bigger thing that I worry about when we do see some of these types of headlines that try to make everybody feel better about things is we sort of sidestep a couple of the biggest issues. Number one being the wage increases that people are anticipating mm-hmm. and what that's doing to our whole economy, which is more and more global by the second in terms of inflation, because yeah. that's real. You've been to the grocery store. <laughs> I mean, I've seen yeah. a 20 to 30% uptick in my groceries. Oh, yeah. I just put a, I just wanted to put a shelf up in my garage. Mm-hmm. Went to Menards, okay, which is Home Depot, Lowe's. I think Menards is more here in the Midwest. But what I paid for that is probably, again, 20, 30% more because mm-hmm. Menards has to pay their people more to keep them in the store. Yeah, and materials are just. Yeah, so it, it's, like I said, it's good to get perspective. But to Anna's point, we still have an issue here. We still yeah. have a big problem. I did think there was some tidbit. There were some tidbits of information in there that I think could be beneficial for manufacturers. Uh, one is that they did talk about how young people do make up the biggest share of people switching jobs. Those are people that are sixteen to twenty-four year old, twenty-four years old, and they had a turnover rate of almost three times the national average. He said that. He attributed the lack of after-work socializing and company parties, which help build company loyalty, with the reason that maybe it's harder to retain some of these young people. So we talk about wages a lot and how wages need to go up. But I thought it was interesting that there are other things that you know people are looking for in terms of company culture, mm-hmm. other fringe benefits. And you know I think that the article did a good job of at least pointing that it's in manufacturers, other companies' best interest to try and do some of these sort of extracurricular things that just aren't available because, you know, in a pandemic, nobody's like, hey, let's go get drinks afterwards. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it's just like, mm-hmm. thank you for working for us. Go home and isolate so you can work for us tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I get that. Um, that is a tough thing to overcome. Yeah. I just wonder, I mean, what are the, when you look at the industries that were hit hardest by this, which is food service, um, retail, mm-hmm. um, other hospitality type stuff. Is it is it that part of it, or is it still the wage thing? Because those people want more money now because they have more options yeah. in terms mm-hmm. of where they can go. And I just feel I get all that, but I just think it's bigger than that. It's just it's just this yeah. total cycle of self recovery that's just going to take a while. Bottom line is, if you want to buy a Big Mac at nine o'clock at night, because right now McDonald's closes at seven because they don't have people to stay there, you're gonna to have to pay seven bucks for it. Yeah. And over <clears throat> time, ideally or hopefully, with the way things have always worked. If you buy that $7 Big Mac now, eventually you will be able to get it at 9 o'clock. Yeah. And hopefully that price will stay at about 7 or whatever it is. Wait, yeah. wait, wait. The Big Mac costs $7? No. Oh. I'm saying if you want to have somebody open, mm-hmm. have those store those fast food you places open. You pay for it, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So. No, I think, uh, you know, it's also a lot of these industries are normally seen as sort of dime a dozen jobs. Yeah. Like, uh when I worked in retail and hospitality, it was, you know, I'm here because I enjoy the people. I enjoy the job and you're paying me the same as the person next door. So are you referring your, to your experience working at the check cashing store as retail? 
No, no, oh, okay. no. That was just a, that was just a nightmare of sadness. <laughs> um, no, I was when I was at I, was, I worked at Sears, I worked at Kohl's, I worked at food places like Rocky Rococo. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I worked at pretty much everything on Third and Fourth Street and Main Street and Lacrosse. Gotcha. Okay, <laughs> because yeah. it was you know as soon as today is uncomfortable. I'm going to go and work at the place next door uh-huh. for the same same. Work. Yeah, I think what's going to be interesting to see what happens here is. So I worked in retail too. I've told my birdseed story yeah. before. Yeah. Um, you know, they appreciate that I was there, but I wasn't anything special. Mm-hmm. It was just like, hey, great to have you. If you need to leave tomorrow, we can replace you. Yeah, and I think that dynamic is changing. Yeah, yeah they can. Um, yeah, because of the way the job market is, and a lot of stuff talked about here. You can't yeah. find a Jeff every day anymore. No, no. <laughs> you used to be able not to. anymore. Yeah, see, it's not going to spill itself. Um, I didn't spill it. <laughs> Let's clarify here. Um, one thing uh, before we leave that I thought was interesting is that so the Bureau of Labor Statistics actually did track quits from like 1930 to 1979, but then ended the survey because because uh, the person who was doing the quit. Yeah, because they quit. <laughs> no, because uh, the manufacturing industry, which made up 28% of the economy, had become less important. And so that's why they stopped doing the survey. How strange. Yeah, it was really weird. And then in 1945, manufacturing workers were actually quitting their jobs at a monthly average uh, rate of 6.1%. So, you mm-hmm. know, like you said, that's, only, that's down to 2.3%. But I mean, maybe that's because there's just less people out there. Or a lot of them have already quit. Yeah. Yeah. But if you work on the Jolts report, mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. If you don't have to explain what it yeah. is and you're yeah. just like, what's your job? I do the Jolts report. No one's yeah. quitting that <clears throat> job. No one's quitting that's, the Jolts report. I mean, is that uh, nowadays? Yeah. That's so what is that? That's their weenus. <laughs> uh, we're just going to leave that, abandon that friends reference yes. out there. Yes. All right. <clears throat> Our next most popular story this week ring to identify suspicious people by voice. Fingerprints or odor. A new report from Business Insider says Amazon's ring division has filed nearly 20 patents to capture traits in an effort to sniff out suspicious people. Some of these traits include eye color, fingerprints, skin texture, gait, and even possibly odor. Ring's network of doorbell cameras could also scan neighborhoods and use advanced facial recognition software that's tied to 2,400 police and fire departments to match retinas, irises, and voices to identify criminals. The idea is that when your ring thinks someone looks suspicious, the house locks and triggers alerts or audible alarms. Now, the altruistic hope is to use these traits to identify and catch porch pirates who currently escape capture by using a mask and a hood. But Jeff, that is this this uh, technology in its altruistic form. Is <laughs> no, we're just going to stop porch pirates, and that's it. <laughs> Man, you wanted to, you really do. <laughs> like this, this is very well intended, and it is important to say these are just patents that they've applied for. Right. This technology has not been developed yet. In mm-hmm. its full uh, scope, I guess. Yeah, it just, man, you just think of all the bad things that mm-hmm. could happen here. Facial recognition software and that whole technology is under such scrutiny right now. There have been a lot of law enforcement agencies who have basically disbanded it, mm-hmm. just don't use it because it's not as reliable. And it does lead to a lot of problems, oh, a lot yeah. of privacy concerns, a lot of false accusations. And then when you bring in the fact that you're going to also have a human component where they can basically add to this potential database of sort of Mm -hmm. suspicious characters and exhibiting certain behaviors or Mm -hmm. smells or the way they walk. Yeah. Man, there's just, I've seen the neighborhood Facebook page and certain demographics when they talk about suspicious people, it just raises, it just, it makes my skin crawl. Mm -hmm. It just, Mm -hmm. I, I don't think... I don't think we can trust the human factor. Mm-hmm. I don't think we can trust the technology factor yet. And then when you have all of this going into an Amazon controlled database, mm-hmm. oh, tied man. into law enforcement, we, um, yeah. yeah, I think we're just mm-hmm. asking for some sort of social revolt here. Oh um, man. No, talking about those neighborhood Facebook pages, if they have the ability to see anyone on the ring and mark them as suspicious, I know the top 10 people in my neighborhood who are just going to sit there and anyone that walks by suspicious, yeah. suspicious, yeah. just like he's carrying a painting. He's suspicious. Um, Anna, the other thing that got me was they said skin texture. And a lot of this facial recognition has problems with different uh, pigmentation. So are they saying skin texture specifically because of perhaps some sort of tattoo identification 
or just because when they say skin, they are already talking about a can of worms that is causing a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, you know, any time we try to develop an algorithm to define something as nebulous as suspicious, mm-hmm. I think it's clear that bias will easily creep in here, you know, um, you know, to Jeff's point. It just you look at so Ring was awarded a patent in October called neighborhood alert mode, which mm-hmm. you were just kind of talking through, but it does let people um, alert their neighbors with a video picture, anything that they deem to be either yeah. quote annoying or suspicious. Yeah. Um, this just feels really dystopian to me. Yeah. And, well, I, and then so that, yeah, they trigger that alert, and then your ring lets you know if people fitting that physical or biometric uh, traits are in your area. Right. That's yeah. crazy. It's crazy. And to be honest, like if your home needs security, then I think finding a solution that secures it would be the best, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than networking across communities to provide footage and documentation of every movement and stuff of people in your neighborhood mm-hmm. that could be perceived as a threat because I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't know why, you know, based on features. So, I mean, we've seen study after study that has showed that facial recognition technology, as Jeff said, is incomplete. It is inaccurate in many cases. It's not there to to be. It's not precise. It's unreliable. Right. So um, perhaps these added variables are an attempt to make it more accurate. But I think at what cost? You know, as I've said before, the more this technology exists, the more it's publicized, the more neighborhood safety apps like Nextdoor become these sort of beehives of suspicion and mm-hmm. accusation. I think it's it just convinces people more and more that they need this kind of technology. And I'm not the only one who feels this way. Like, you know, Vox did a really good report a couple of years back that talked about Nextdoor and mm-hmm. Amazon and how this phenomenon kind of feeds itself. Um, and they say that the more these systems exist, the more people socialize about crime and speculate about crime and actually violent crime is at historic lows in many communities in the United States, but you would never know that or think that mm-hmm. based on this stuff and how it exists and how it sort of feeds into this, you know, phenomenon. So I think that there's a line between capturing this type of information and then leaving it into the hands of everyday people to apply it and use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we've talked, I mean, it sounds kind of cheesy, but like watching TV shows or anything or even real life crime stuff where they talk about the things that they can capture from video and apply it to identify terrorists and mm-hmm. other people like this. But that is different than those are that information is in the hands of trained professionals, mm-hmm. IT folks, law enforcement. I think when you start putting this into homeowners uh, reach, oof, yeah. man, that just but, that can go sideways so fast. Well, it's already it's in the hands of professionals and it's already gone sideways. Yeah, and point. I mean, so Anna, you say at what cost at great cost? You know, right, we talk right. you talk about it being dystopian, but we talk about a larger, you know, f- surveillance police state. And this is. An initial, an initial step in that uh, mm-hmm. direction. Yeah. Um, all under the auspices of a neighborhood watch. <laughs> it's, But, I mean, mm-hmm. you're right. I, I believe I've told the story again, uh, or previously, but we had one suspicious person that was identified in our neighborhood one afternoon during the pandemic. And this person went to Facebook right away and just said, hey, there's a suburban parked outside my house. I don't know what they're doing in there, but they haven't moved. What's going on? And then five minutes later, after the entire neighborhood rallies, you know, just like, I don't know what it is. It's a silver car. It looks like a Ford. Is it a Ford? And then it's just like the woman who was in the car gets on Facebook and says, hi, it's just me. My house was loud. I'm eating lunch in the quiet. Oh, my God. And it's just... Thank oh, God we man. cracked that. Yeah. yeah. And so then there's all this, oh, I'm so sorry. And then there's all these people just saying like, this is the problem with, you know, Facebook, you know, investigations. Yeah. But uh, I just see more of that happening and i mean especially with odor jeez we have like 10 suspicious odors going on in the studio right now hey could yeah <laughs> could you program this for exceptions like uh that that's gin and buffalo wings that's just david like, yeah, that's, yeah. Can, right <laughs> no that that's just uh that's just our neighbor that walks by our house and smokes cigarettes every five minutes yeah you know just uh i just see your phone getting blown up all the time and i mean not the hot sauce all the time. Sometimes it's like a spicy garlic. <laughs> I'll, I'll program both of those in. Yeah, like a, a hot all barbecue. the sauces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just put all, everything from BW in there. And they'll just instead of like warning you, it'll just be like David's. David's here. Yeah, it's safe. <laughs> yeah, 
All right. <clears throat> Our next most popular story this week. Battery uh, Startup's battery gets 752 miles per charge. Our Next Energy, or One, is a battery tech startup in Michigan. The company says it has created a new prototype that powered a test vehicle for 752 miles without charging. The test vehicle was a Tesla Model S, which normally has a range of about 396 miles per charge. The road test was completed in December at an average speed of 55 miles per hour. Next, one will try to commercialize the design in a product they call Gemini. A production prototype could be out by next year. Not only will this help diffuse range anxiety with EVs, but it could mean that we don't need as many electricity stations as we thought previously with infrastructure. Electricity stations. Jeff, your thoughts on this impressive range for a new EV battery. Yeah, so again, I think this falls under a well-intended like promotion, uh, putting out what we're doing, talking about this, this great research. But honestly, I think this could actually almost do more harm to the whole concept of how we want everybody to feel good about electric vehicles. Yeah. This test was conducted on a dynamometer mm-hmm. in a climate-controlled environment with no creature comforts running, nobody mm-hmm. actually in the vehicle, no outside elements basically affecting operation of this vehicle. Okay. No, there was there was it was and ran at fifty five miles an hour the whole time. Yeah, but no, that there was an outdoor <clears throat> test and there was the dyno test. On the dyno test, they actually did eight eight hundred and eighty two miles. Okay, but still, I feel like this testing skews a bit yeah. because it's not real world conditions. Yeah, and I think as a result, the seven hundred fifty. That's great if that can happen. We want everybody to feel so good about electric vehicles, mm-hmm. and I understand why. We yeah. do. And we wanted to relieve this anxiety. But when we put out these types of numbers, just like Mercedes last week, yeah. talking about 600 miles on a virtual simulation, I think that sets people up to be disappointed yeah. because they see all this stuff. Well, my electric vehicle, I'm not going to have to worry about this. Well, you still do. You still have to focus on different environmental factors impacting how that battery is going to be able to put out enough power to go wherever you're going. Because if you've got three kids with devices plugged in, streaming video in the back, guess what? That's going to affect the mileage range of that EV. Yeah. If You have to have the air conditioning going higher. If they need the heating like we got right now going, guess what? That's going to have an impact. Yeah. And when you look at somebody like Tesla who's done more testing, real-world applications with an actual car that they built and put their own battery into, that is going to be more accurate. Mm-hmm. So I do worry about some of these startups throwing out some of these numbers. I mean, we've seen false claims. And I'm not saying this is false, yeah. but some of these claims from Nikola, Lordstown, other folks yeah. who have just pumped, all, got everybody so excited about something, and it just doesn't quite work out. We have seen exaggerated data um, previously because you're right, they, got, they want to make a splash. Um, you raised another interesting point. So when EVs become more commonplace, how much more strict are you going to have to be with the devices in the car? Because if you're going on a road trip, it's like, hey, you have one charge and maybe you have that battery, external battery pack, but you can't plug it into the car. Whereas we're not yep. going to make it. Um, Anna, it just seems like another step or another part of the battery arms race. And mm-hmm. how did you uh, how did you find this? Personally, I thought the range was uh, pretty exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. I think I'm with Jeff a little bit on, you know, I think you need to have a healthy amount of skepticism when it comes to these types of tests. Mm -hmm. Um, We know a lot of money and effort and development is being funneled into this industry because there's a lot of payoff coming, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And we have seen some sort of deflated businesses in electric vehicles over the last few years. No names will be mentioned, but um, there's a lot of already mentioned. Yeah. Already been mentioned by me. I mean, Um, no, a lot of people are scrambling to get into the market, right? So yes, I think this is marketing. Um, But like, if it's anywhere close to reality, if this thing works, then it, it, it's huge for Mm. EVs. So I think that, that, that that's probably why they're talking about it. Yeah. Do you um, think that it was intentional that they chose a Tesla Model S? Because obviously a startup like this is to prove that your tech works and then hopefully get bought by a bigger So you think player. they're they're courting Tesla just by using that in the you know, potentially. I, I don't think know. So. Yeah. I mean, we know Tesla's also are, you know, the most road tested EV really at this point. So that could be another reason. But um I do think that it would be take away range anxiety for a lot of people um Mm -hmm. 700 plus miles per charge um is 
way better than any gasoline tank can offer yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it removes some of the onus on public infrastructure. I do mm-hmm. because if, um, you know, I know that people think that they need to have a, a charging station that's public and everywhere that we have a gas station. Now, I don't th- think that that is true. Mm-hmm. As we talked about previously, like when you have the option of charging with a portable charger or in your home or something, then I don't think that the the amount of stations that we need is equivalent to what we would need with a petrol station. Mm-hmm. That said, um, we got an interesting email from a, a viewer of the podcast or a listener um, this week that pointed out that in our discussions of battery development technology, we continue to fail to mention the fact that public infrastructure would also include uh, electricity capacity in terms Mm -hmm. of what's coming from the grid. And right now we don't have enough to support even in some places, people's lives, you know, their houses keeping warm in the winter. Right. Mm -hmm. So thanks to Kevin for weighing in on that. It's an excellent point. I think very valid in this discussion as well. Mm Mm-hmm. No, that was uh, what was the documentary that came out about uh, the grid not being able to take EVs, and then it was debunked and taken off of YouTube and everything <laughs> immediately. Just like we can't have that kind of uh, information out there. Well, it is real, and that's where even if you're not a fan of President Biden, a lot of the initiatives that he was pushing, call them green, environmental, whatever, mm-hmm. they dealt with the infrastructure, and part of it was having a grid that can support these mm-hmm. types of uh, uh, of power sources, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is gonna, that's going to be important regardless. If it's well, EVs yeah. or anything else, we've got a lot of work to do on the grid. The fact that we know now that the OEs have gotten so strongly behind this push for electric vehicles, mm-hmm. that reinforces it and actually gives more of a clearer picture of what we do need moving forward. Right, right. All right. <clears throat> Our next most popular story this week. New Jeep plant addresses odor problem. A new Jeep plant in Detroit has received more than 50 odor complaints. As a result, Stellantis has had to conduct an odor investigation and claims to have come up with a solution. Stellantis previously stated that the odor came from exhaust that was not being routed through emissions control systems and said that it wouldn't cause any health risk. Still, residents complained that it was hurting their quality of life. After further modeling, the company will now add, quote, a completely new and dedicated regenerative thermal oxidizer, as well as odor-reducing technologies at specific places in the plant. Some have reported that the intense odors are coming from the automaker's paint line. Stellantis Stellantis was hit with three air quality violations last year. They declined to provide a timeline or cost calculation for the repairs, though the company did say that they were waiting on specifics from suppliers on lead times for equipment. So, Jeff, this seems like an interesting story to me because a lot of people complained. Jeep said, nah, <laughs> and then they ran the test and they're like, you know what? Not not because anyone said anything or the right. fines, but we're going to do the right thing going forward. Yeah, man, Detroit cannot catch a break. This was their break. I mean, this was their break. Geez, they get a new $4.5 billion facility. First one that's been built in Detroit in what was it, three decades? 30 years. 30 years, yeah. yeah. I mean, and then they have this issue, and it's bothersome because Stellantis comes out and says, it would not cause a health risk in terms of talking about the industrial exhaust that was coming out of the facility. Well, yeah. Define that, please. Yeah. Is this a doctor saying this, or is this yeah. their like, marketing what, person? What, what because, is that? Because yeah. when you've got kids going to the hospital and everything else, obviously, for some people, it's definitely a health risk. Have you were, ever been near any of those, uh, the areas of a factory where they paint? Like, if that's, yeah. the, if that's what's coming out of there. I mean, we were at a caster factory where they were painting, like, 10 casters at a time, and I'm like... Can someone open a window? Like, I worked on a paint line. Actually, I took parts off once oh. they were went through the oven and stuff like that. And even when you saw those folks suited up and what they were wearing, obviously, they only ran the paint line for so long because it did have to, uh, you know, the air purification that needed to take mm-hmm. place and all that kind of stuff. And even when they came through the oven, mm-hmm. yeah, there was definitely yeah. some smells. That's what I always found interesting is that, so the people doing the painting are completely suited up head to toe, but I'm right outside and mm-hmm. they're like, no, you're fine. You don't even need a mask. Like, I don't see how that's real. But, yeah. Okay. Anyway. No. So Stellantis obviously needs to do a better job here. Um, one of the things that I was looking at um, was these regenerative thermal oxidizers that they're talking about putting in place. This is not actually a small thing. Stellantis actually admitting that more of these are needed or the ones that were there were not working well enough. These are million-dollar pieces of equipment wow. mm-hmm. that are used to basically 
burn off all of the bad stuff that comes from the emissions, whether it's the paint lines, just normal industrial fumes, whatever it is, before it gets basically turned into steam and released out of the facility. Yeah. However, again, listen to the people that are around here. This is not just the community that you operate in. These are also workers. These are your families. Yeah. yeah these, this is generations of people who you could be looking for as for a workforce. Mm-hmm. We've talked about labor issues in manufacturing for quite a while here. Yeah. Take care of your workforce. Take care of this community. And this can be, continue to be a great story here. Mm-hmm. Jeep is one of those American vehicles that continues to be iconic, to sell well, to obviously they just spent four and a half billion dollars on this facility. Yeah. Support all that by making it safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not, it doesn't seem too complicated. It con- continues to do well because Jeeps are awesome, Jeff. Yeah. Um, no, Anna, what I couldn't get over was how do you build, what was it, a $4.5 billion facility and this kind of is lost in the entire design, facility design? Yeah, you do wonder about that, but um, you know, what do I know about building a manufacturing plant? I guess I just—it's just too bad that the timeline on this fix is so gray. I mean, mm. as you mentioned, they said that they're waiting on their suppliers to provide a timeline on when these um, these fixes will be available from a part standpoint, and we all know what's going on with the supply chain right now. I don't know if anyone's tried to get any work done around at their, their house, but <laughs> it's not quick turnaround. So it could be Jeff a while. Built a shelf. That's true. I did Jeff. it myself. <laughs> Can you I fix did, siding? I did measure in everything. <laughs> you just need a, a Jeff and a tape measure. Can you install a thermal oxidizer, Jeff? Uh, Maybe I can, watch the YouTube, I can watch the YouTube video. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It's a new world. Jeff's in. Producer Stellantis. Eric can yeah. help, uh, help out yep. with that. He will do it for free. Right. Editorial director. Uh, he drinks a lot of beer on the job. <laughs> don't know if that helps or hurts, but it's expensive. It helps. I don't know. To me, like the, um, the, one of the big downsides too is, and I, Jeff kind of got into this a little bit, but just that it's so, it's been so highly publicized. I think that something like this can really turn um, a community off <laughs> to the idea of like a manufacturing plant in yeah. their area mm-hmm. and maybe even turn people off from working in manufacturing because it's feeding into the stereotype that manufacturing is like this gross smelly like yeah, no the dirty facility myth yeah exactly and if people don't want to live by them like who wants to work in one right and mm-hmm. and and auto plants are notoriously the cleanest most innovative most cutting-edge facilities that you will find mm-hmm. um, and to hear that this one is becoming sort of this like blight or this community um, I don't know scourge it's just it, it, it's difficult to think like what this could be doing to that job market for you know we talked earlier about like the big hole that we're in yeah and we know that perception is still a huge problem it's been documented people still think to this day, that these jobs are something that they're not. And I don't think that this helps. This is not a new problem either. We've taught, we've run many stories over many years about odor remediation and odor problems in communities and how that does divide a community that, you know, supported something that was a huge win for both the company and the community alike. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff, I hear that people, including children are getting sent to the hospital for breathing issues. And I just think, you know, as a kid with possibly uh, as a parent of a kid with asthma, I know that I don't need any more things contributing to breathing issues, yeah. including the job maker in, the, in town. So it's yeah. just frustrating. Well, and just to clarify too, you know, when I first clicked on this or when I first started looking at the story, okay, I thought it's a, it's a, it smells bad. Yeah. It's not what we're talking about. It's not just a funky smell. I mean, it's obviously noxious um, chemicals that are being inhaled here. Mm-hmm. It makes yeah. it a bigger issue. It's not just a nuisance. Yeah. It's, it's a real safety concern. And OSHA has been there three times. Yeah. They've, yeah, they've been fine. Um, talking more about the teeth of OSHA, huh? Um, no, growing up in Chocolate City, USA, um, <laughs> knowing that, like, growing up with a childhood filled with uh, the scent of chocolate wafting through the city, I just couldn't imagine how my childhood would be different if that was paint. I'm going to say worse. Definitely worse. So you grew up in Fort Atkinson, Anna? Yeah, right? yeah. The, when NASCO was doing their stuff, like yeah. with the tater tots and all that kind of stuff, do you remember those smells coming uh, out of there? You're thinking of McCain, maybe? Oh, you're right. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was awesome. That was amazing. No, so it, it was not like amazing. It's tots? not amazing when it's like seven o'clock in the morning and you're trying to run like suicide <laughs> sprints for tennis practice and you can smell. Oh, 
Yeah. You know. Oh, it was incredible. Yeah, because I worked in Fort Atkinson. Okay. We all did actually yeah. at one point. And yeah, when they had that place going, you smelled the whole town smelled like tater tots. It's incredible. Does it still do incre- that? Incredibly bad though. Oh. Um, I loved it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to side with Jeff on this one. Just like I like to get up and do what are the murder sprints? Suicides. Suicides. That, yeah. Did you ever do those in oh, sports? Oh yeah, I did. Yeah. But you know, to chocolate. Yeah. Not, not, <laughs> it was easier to chocolate. Not to onion rings. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> It's Ooh, not better. Man, the smell of fried bar food in the morning. Mm, yeah. yeah. It's good stuff. This is more of like a Sunday brunch. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Our most popular story this week, and really it's been a very popular story over the years, the San Francisco luxury high rise tilting three inches per year. The Millennium Tower in San Francisco just won't stop sinking. According to Ron Hamburger, the engineer charged with riding the ship, the 58-story luxury apartment building is tilting about three inches per year. If they can't find and fund a fix, in a few years, the tower will reach a 40-inch tilt, which means elevators and even plumbing would no longer work. Still, he says the building remains safe and that installing 18 steel piles to bedrock is the best way to stop the tilting and possibly reverse some of it. Jeff, at some point, you just got to call it, right? Man, I just, it's amazing. What was it like a $100 million project they were going to spend to put these, yeah, these pillars put in the there? Piles in, yeah. But what they didn't, they continue to miss is the fact that they have nothing to anchor them to. Mm. Like there's no bedrock to, to grow, for these pillars to grab onto. So they're basically just pounding more stuff in the mud. They're pounding more sand. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Unfortunately, the one thing I thought was kind of interesting, when people moved first, when they first opened up the Millennium Tower, one of the building's perks, and this is off theguardian.com, is the building's perks included a wine cellar, film screening room, and a button that promised to let residents summon engineering help within 15 minutes. <laughs> Super reassuring, right? Do you think right? they still have that button? Um, is that still working? I think, uh, Does that solve it? Just yeah. press the button. You get the button. It's Nobody just pressed like, it. The engineering button has been disabled. Hey, mm-hmm. the whole building just moved an inch. You got anything for me yeah. here? Can you? We'll can send you help a guy over. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, when the elevator stops working, are you still going to climb the fifty-eight stories to get your groceries up what, there? What is worse? No elevators or the plumbing not working on the fifty-eighth floor? I'm going to say well, plumbing. And all the way. And down. are you just like waiting around for that moment? You're just going to continue to use the elevator until like that day. Yeah, I, I mean, because I wouldn't. I guess <laughs> good call. Yeah, I guess there's some. You know, to some people, it's their home, and if, the, if people tell them it's still safe, they'll stay there. But yeah, I guess the plumbing just pools on whatever. Oh man, you know that on does whatever not side. look good, and it probably doesn't help the tilt. You know, just like mm-hmm. sewage resting on the side of the building. Jeez. Well, um, if yeah. you are interested, guys, mm. I did find five condos for sale. Oh, in the building? In the building. What are they <laughs> in the what building? What do they cost? What, what would you pay for a thousand what is it here? A thousand and ninety eight square feet in the Millennium Tower I on mean, the eighteenth floor. You couldn't you could the pay cheapest me one. What's the price the per square one. foot in San Francisco? Do we don't I don't know what it is in San Francisco. I can tell you what it is in this building. Okay. So the five that I found on Vanguard properties that are currently up for sale mm-hmm. range between one thousand ninety eight and one thousand nine hundred and fifty two square feet. Their prices are between one point three and three million dollars. Nope. Like, do you buy it just hoping to make a multiple on the impending lawsuit? Tough sale. Um, <laughs> if you if you find the real estate, like this is the reality show. They've got all those reality mm-hmm. shows oh, for the real yeah. estate agents selling Sunset. And all that. No, no, no. Sell Millennium Tower. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. Now you're a real estate agent. I want those property brothers to fix this problem. <laughs> <laughs> and Vanilla Ice. It'll be a real like uh, all star team. Uh, can't say I'd do it for 1.3 or like I said, I don't think you could pay me to live there. No. Nope. Yeah. Like, I mean, so what's the 15, floor? It, well, the most expensive one is $1,500 a square foot. Okay. So like maybe you buy on the 18th floor, Anna, hoping that to remedy this, they just take 20 and above off. They just slop off the top. Yeah. Just take a little off the top. Yep. Yep. Just fix it. I don't know. I just like at, at, at what point are we just going to, like you said, call it? Like, does it make sense at some point to just raise this? Because we know that this settling is continuing while they are dumping hundreds of millions of dollars into fixing it. And yeah. it is getting worse. Mm-hmm. So fast. 
I don't know. It seems like the problem is not solved. They've mm-hmm. already settled, uh, you know, with the property owners, but I don't feel like the property owners are getting out probably what their equity would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, are we just going to wait for this building to collapse in a very densely populated area of one of the United States most populated cities? Like that's a like a very dense urban center, and I just feel like. I'm not trying to be dramatic here, but are we not like one earthquake away from like a unstable, very tall building like going yeah. down? And I mean, that would be tons of collateral damage. Well, the justification there is, and again, I'm not a seismologist, right? But the San Andreas Fault does not run close enough, apparently, mm. to the, <laughs> to this building. Should be all good to, then. Uh, create those concerns. So, okay, this building. But I'm with you. So, if you look at the map, this building is surrounded by buildings that are owned by Salesforce. There's Salesforce Park, Salesforce Plaza, Salesforce West and East. Now, maybe if Millennium Tower isn't going to do anything on its own or the city isn't going to do anything on its own, maybe Salesforce or surrounding communities or companies can sue to have it taken down. Mm -hmm. Just because that is, I mean, could you, I mean, it's 60 stories falling in San Francisco. Well, and traditionally they don't build buildings that tall because of the risk of earthquakes in California. Mm. Um, and this was, I think, one of the f- the tallest buildings in the yeah. city. So it's pretty scary that it is not very stable. And I don't know. You just wonder, like, with the insurers involved and stuff too. Like, are they? Yeah. Can oh, you get like you get insurance? insurance for this building? Like, what happens? I don't know. I just I have to imagine you can't. So, just like you call and they laugh and hang up on you. Yeah. So like, hey, this leaning building fell on my car or something, or you yeah. know, like yeah. what. I don't know. It just seems like a very, very massive liability that I cannot believe that they're still dealing with, but there's obviously tons of money already wrapped up in this project. So, yeah. So yeah, to get that three inch tilt per year, that's only a half inch of settlement every year. And I just, I just don't know how you live in this thing with peace of mind. It's, I mean, we've had, we've seen a couple of structures locally uh, be closed because there's been a lot of people looking into, um, buildings that are on the water ever since the collapse in Miami. Um, and so we had a very large building in Madison shut down and completely evacuated because it was dangerous. Yeah. I just don't know what it takes to get to that point here. Yeah. We've been talking about this for how long mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's just, mm-hmm. and it continues. And like, I'm surprised there isn't more than five people trying to sell. I'm sure there is, Yeah, but how do you even, I so. don't know. I don't know. All right. Well, let's move on to in case you missed it. And in case you missed it, we like to talk about stories that were maybe not as popular on the website, but still stand to make a big impact on the industry going forward. I'll go first. My story this week was a company collecting faces for a robot project. You guys look at this one at all? No. All right. Thanks for the thanks for the click. I did. No. It was great. It was really fantastic. No. Producer Alex was really excited. He came out of the studio going, David does some weird stuff. Yeah, right? And that was just talking about my personal life. That's true, yeah. All right. Russian company Promobot recently offered any person $200,000 for the rights to their face. The company's humanoid project was looking for a face that could be used on humanoid robot assistants in everywhere from, you know, retail outlets to hotels all over the world. By signing over the rights to your face, Promobot would own it forever, and the other condition would that it had to be a kind and friendly face. <laughs> We're out. The, guy, oh, yeah, oh, the company had to suspend the application submissions after more than 20,000 people happily obliged and applied. The company said it would take about 12 months to decide on the winning face. After that, Promobot will make a 3D model of the winning face and record 100 hours for the speech capturing your voice for the hyper-realistic robot. Hmm. Anna, would you sell your face? I think so. (laughs) I think so, because it's not always going to look like this. Probably get pretty old soon. Yeah. So Kinder? It sounds kinder. It's a kinder face, yeah. Yeah, but I would not be accepted because I have a mean-looking face. People don't talk to me on airplanes, which I appreciate. Um, but (laughs) But I think it's because of the firm... I'm reading my book. 
and yeah. drinking my coffee, get out of here face that I just do naturally. So yeah. I, I don't think I would be chosen. So Anna's out because mm-hmm. of the, I want none of your business face. She gives us in the office all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff, how about you? Uh, would you sell your face so that way it could sell fries as an auto- <laughs> autonomous robot <laughs> in McDonald's until the end of hey, time? it's the McDonald's guy. <laughs> would you like fries uh, with that? Absolutely, but I'm with Anna. I've had... <laughs> Have people come and say, "Are you mad?" <laughs> like, just like, is everything Bro, okay? Are you mad? Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't think my face would work either. Um, I think that benefited my past as a drill sergeant. So I don't think that's mm-hmm. the type of like vibe they're trying to give off here mm. um, for selling stuff, especially you know something is like a happy meal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sad meal. Just like mad meal. Ever get since, a needed meal. Ever since we rolled out Jeff on the robot line, no <laughs> one's buying anything. But nobody gets out of line either. Like, we have the most yeah, well-behaved weird. customers. <laughs> um, I just thought this was in, an incredibly insane idea. And also, one of the dark sort of aspects of it that I thought is that if you do sell your face, and then once you pass on, you know, like, I don't want to be in 100 different locations. So, like, when my kid goes to buy, you know, something at the toy store, mm-hmm. his Dead dad is selling it to him. Just this like, is very specific. Wow. You did and go dark. It's just a Black Mirror episode. Right. Yeah. I just, this would be very, okay. Well, because, I mean, <clears throat> so they talk about how there are these, like, there, there are AI, uh, different types of AI out there where mm-hmm. it'll take everything that you've written that's publicly available on social media, and you can also load different samples, stuff like that. And it creates an AI that, you know, can interact with people after you die. Right, Yeah. <laughs> I've so seen that stuff. I just, just loaded into a robot that looks like you. You just took a lot of steps into like how this would play yeah. out, and I don't know that that would happen. Yeah, I'm pretty, pretty sure I mean, you happen. think they're going to use that same face forever? They're going to want to change it up. No, they? and they're not going to. They're going to go bankrupt. Every it's uh, production. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Anna's not worried because this is a failure. Yeah, I don't have to think about this because it's already going to fail. <laughs> um, no, but it's. I mean, it's like you know how they only make like eight <laughs> different, different story colors. choice. Yeah, they only make like eight different colors. Of a car. You know, it's not like they're going to make a few of each face. They're going to make tens of thousands of these faces, and they're going to be everywhere. And you think in the near term, David Manti's face is going to be selling, uh, like, Legos at, at Toys R Us? Probably in, like, a, like a Lego year. land. Yep. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because Toys R Us ain't coming back. That's true. Yeah, that one's, that ship is sailed. But couldn't you sort of, I mean, this is the same oh, thing for any type of, like, model in, like, a catalog, right? Technically, yeah. that face is there. Yeah, I guess. I, I guess know. I don't know. Whoever like the first mannequin was, you know, modeled after Kim maybe Cattrall. They're, maybe their friends and family are hanging no, out at the. What's that? I said Kim Cattrall, but that's because she's in the movie. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, mannequin! Wow, there's a reference. I you said can't control. Sorry, everyone. Um, the other thing that I found interesting was so this was unveiled at CES 2020. Okay. Uh, the company actually used Arnold Schwarzenegger's face on a product they called mm-hmm. the Android Robo C. And the company said that they had the actor's permission, but then he sued them for $10 million for using his looks without permission. See, they're going to go bankrupt. I don't know. I mean, they, pay, they paid out. Yeah, plus, plus, like, what is your face going to look like on a robot? Weird. Not anything like you. No, right? no, no. That's, I mean, one of the things that I just really have to point everybody to is to see the pictures that they provided in terms of, uh, they had one test guy who came out and of course, where is this guy? All right. So it's not even going to fire. But uh, it shows the first subject in the robot they made from his face. Mm-hmm. And I would, I, I guess I said like close, but not really. Like Ken doll. You know what I mean? Like it's not going to. Yeah. So what do you have to worry about? See, you all don't. your fears are gone. Sell what? your face, David. Just for grand? sell your face. I can't even get a down payment in the Millennium Tower for that. <laughs> Anyway, uh, and that stands to make a big impact on the industry going forward. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff, thanks for sharing, David. Jeff, what's your in case you missed it this week? So I cut this on this article called What is Wish Cycling? Kind of caught my eye because I do get yelled at a lot at home for not recycling stuff. Like I'm one who kind of just throws it away. Mm -hmm. I I can do better there. So my wife and kids are trying to help me, but wish cycling is defined as putting something in the recycling bin and hoping it'll be recycled. Even if there is little evidence to confirm this assumption. So basically what it's saying is people are putting a lot of stuff in there Mm -hmm. that should not go into the recycling bin. And the problem looking at the article here, 
Contaminating the waste stream with material that is not actually recyclable makes the sorting process more costly because it requires extra labor. Wish cycling also damages sorting systems and equipment and depresses an already fragile trading market. So what's happening is a lot of municipalities are going the other way with it. They're basically, if you have any, if you're not sure, throw it away. Mm-hmm. When in doubt, throw it out. Yeah. That's basically what they're saying. And it was kind of interesting to me just to see a story that goes the other way a little bit. Yeah. It also kind of educated me because there's some of these where they're like, don't throw this in the recycling. And the ones that I am definitely guilty of are what they call the no tanglers, which are like cords and hoses. Mm-hmm. I am definitely guilty of that. Bad yeah. extension cord, bad garden hose. Into the recycling? Yeah, I, I did. I have. So I was wrong there. The other thing was no scrap metal. Mm. And I have to admit, if I've got hardware, other stuff like that, you know, when I put up the uh, the shelves, there's some extra hardware left because why would you need all that? Yeah. Well, ended up going into the uh, the uh, the recycling, you which I was circled. wrong. Mm-hmm. So it was. Uh, I thought it was interesting that way. No, uh, we definitely have a wish, uh, wish cycler household as well, yeah. where uh, because of the old man nerdy things that I like to do. <laughs> Every year, the Department of Waste sends out the list of things that you can recycle. Yeah, the re what is it called again? The re I can't remember. It's I, like I can't rec- remember either. Recyclationary or something. No. Yeah, but like uh, <laughs> oh no, it's the Recyclopedia. <laughs> the, re- it's the Recyclopedia. Wow. Yeah. Recyclationary. It's a- <laughs> Uh, <laughs> That's but, not it. Yeah, no, it was like it made big news last year or two years ago because they started accepting pizza boxes that were dirty. So normally, oh, they did? yeah, normally you couldn't put cardboard that had food waste in there. Yeah, but it's a big thing in my house because sometimes things go into the recycling, and I just I feel like somebody that's you know. Fixing your grammar was just like, mm. Mm, actually, this I is do, not recyclable. I do that too, though. And I do it at the office sometimes. I'm like fishing stuff out of there, which is totally insane. Yeah, but no, it's you look in there and you're just like amateur hour with yeah, these wish cyclers. Foam, come yeah. on. No, uh, Anna, how do you prevent your house from being a wish cycling household? Well, my husband has gotten so used to me being insane about it that he just sometimes will just leave things out and let me decide, which is <laughs> super annoying, by the way. Yeah. Chris. Um, <laughs> well, Chris, I do the same thing. So. Yeah, because he's like, I don't know what to do with it. Um, when in doubt, throw it out. You have to because like the, the risk is like in, in no uncertain terms, like your bag of recyclables is much more likely to get put in the trash stream mm-hmm. if you put stuff in there that's not supposed to be in there. So yeah. like think about it like you could wish that this one thing – um, gets recycled, but if if the person decides that this is a contaminated bag, your whole bag of would be recyclable, real recyclable things goes in the trash. Yeah. So um, it is important to kind of understand uh, what you can and cannot do. But it is it is based on municipality, and a lot of these places more and more are having trouble recycling just even basic stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of recycling is really. Um, we produce a lot of plastic and a very small fraction of it gets um, recycled in reality. So it's important, I think, people to, to instead of thinking about, like, is it recyclable, also think about, like, do I need to use it in the first place? Mm. That was one thing they talked about that I was, again, I learned actually quite a bit reading this article was the plastic stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of it cannot be recycled. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely something I was wrong on. We talk about problems with labeling a lot on this podcast and in this industry, one that they've gotten a lot better on is instructions for recycling. Mm-hmm. You, uh, you know, if you look at cartons, it'll say this carton is only recyclable. If you take the label off, it's only recyclable. If you, uh, there was one that I had, uh, where you actually could only recycle it if the cap was put back on. Mm-hmm. It was really weird, but specific instructions that made me feel better about it. Like, uh, one, one, sorry, before we get off of it, that re, uh, happens in our house a lot is any glass, so like any broken glass or something like that goes in the recycling. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm pretty sure you can't recycle that. And for me, it's, uh, you know, we just had Christmas. So we're burning a lot of candles trying to get through the new candle inventory. Mm-hmm. And it was just, we had one and I was going to recycle it. I'm like, it doesn't say I can recycle it. So I'm going to throw it in the trash. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just yeah. and like, and because of the amazing marketing job that the green movement has done, you can't do that without feeling guilt. You're just like, I think I got to put the, candle in the garbage. I was, I was already and, uh, tears. Yeah, like, yeah. Right? People are crying everywhere and I'm a bad person. Mm. Uh, so no, it's, I found this, I found this article really cool too, Jeff. And isn't it, it's just great how reading does help us learn things. 
Wow. Not no. I'm talking one about one to grow on with David Manty. Yeah. First, he went super dark Everybody. about yeah. you know his face and posterity and how it's going to affect his children. Well, and well, now talk. he's talking about reading. It wasn't my face. I'm like using a hypothetical, kind, kinder and friendlier face than mine because. Like you guys said, I mean, I'm not going to be picked. I think of all three of us, you are picked. Yes, yeah. I, yeah, I would so. agree with that. No, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. They just they see this like uh, poor Midwest grill, and they're like, no one's going to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> poor Midwest grill. Um, Anna, <clears throat> what is your? In case you missed it, this all right. Week? So if you feel like a bad person for throwing a candle away. I have a worse person for you. This will help you kind of get back in line. Great. So um, the the article that I chose was about um, how ultra luxury automakers posted record sales volumes mm. in 2021. So vehicle sales increased last year in general, but still remained shy of their pre-pandemic numbers. Um, but one very niche subset of the market, however, came um, out stronger than ever, and that was ultra luxury auto brands and we're talking like bentley's rolls royces those two companies um they uh they saw record sales numbers and i selected the story to share because of something the ceo of rolls royce said about their banner year and i think it made a lot of people squirm it wasn't actually included in this report but Mm. um he was talking about their great year in 2021 and he said that quote quite a lot of people witnessed people in their community dying from covid that makes them think life can be short and you'd better live now than postpone it to a later date. Um, and that was reported by the Financial Times. He added um, that this helped Rolls-Royce sales quite massively. So if you already felt good about the fact that the rich got like way richer during the pandemic, know that some of them are literally acknowledging the benefit of COVID deaths in lining their pockets and... Ooh. That I mean, obviously it was true, but it was very distasteful. I thought so. Yeah. What a weird thing to say. And intensifying like midlife crises all throughout the nation. I know, and I, like I realized that the CEO of Rolls Royce only has to like not offend probably one percent of the population, like the rest of us. Yeah, <laughs> he's like whatever, <laughs> whatever oh. they think think of me, I don't care. But um, I still thought it was pretty gross. I don't know. Does well, that it's... give you? Sorry, Jeff. Does that give you one percenter street cred? When you just flat out come out and say like, yeah, you know what? Luckily, because of all this death, we're all crushing it. Man, what a weird thing to say. Weird. Like when you have these record sales, you can, there's so many softballs to throw out there. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because of the dedication of our employees and the quality of our product and all this other stuff. <clears throat> no, um, we're just happy people are worried about dying. <laughs> you know, that's, I mean, who does that? Right? Just like, oh, luckily because of COVID, you can't go on vacations. Because of the supply shortage, you can't really do anything to your house. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, all money this to money burn. that rich people need yeah. to burn, and we it's coming to Bentley. Yeah, I mean, we only have to make like 100 cars a year, so mm-hmm. we're good. Yeah, so there's that. Uh, what? <laughs> what? Uh, you're right. You know what? I you're ordered, trying to bring us up, but then, yep. you know. I ordered these incorrectly. I do you thought, feel better now? I thought that was going to be sunnier than the face <laughs> selling. I was wrong. Sorry. When does a car, what separates an ultra luxury car from a luxury car? Um, I don't know. Like 50 grand? If you I don't, don't know, know, you can't afford it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I don't even know what a luxury What separates you from us? No. Uh, is there like... I'd line there. I don't know what the benchmark is if there's, yeah, if it's like over $100,000 or something. Or yeah. it, is there a base model Bentley? I mean, 200,000, 300. Yeah, I mean, like, check, yeah, oh, Google it. A I base know. Bentley cost. Um, Quarter million. No, that is uh, 200. 200 yeah. base, huh? What is it? I wasn't far off. To a get into What's a, 50K? Uh, yeah. get, to get out of 200K, I'll get you into a Bentley Flying Spur. If you have to stretch to get a base Bentley, like <clears throat> the other Bentley owners, like oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's on the bottom fifty percent of our one percent, do so don't let him in. Yeah, is he like the bargain room salesperson? Yeah. It's like, oh, you need to go over there. We have this one. It's uh, purple. Nobody bought it. <laughs> wow, one of the phrases that it's has got... emerged lately that I really enjoy is "read the room, man." <laughs> like, I know, right? Yeah, it's. Uh, but I mean, if anything. When CEOs lose on tone, it serves to entertain us. I guess, yeah, and offend us. But I was going to say, Anna is not entertained. I think she's more, she's got the face that is not going to win her the 200 grand going yeah. right now. Yeah, I'm not selling fries with this face. <laughs> it's not pleased. All right. Well, before we get out of here, let's move on to our final thoughts this week. Anna, what is your final thought? 
Don't start with me. I don't have one. My final thought this week was that <laughs> while I haven't been in the office for more than five hours this week, you know, and I mentioned this a couple of times when we were recording the podcast mm-hmm. throughout the pandemic, uh, as a result of having the kid at home all week, uh, <clears throat> just one of them, it gave me a little bit more personal time to be one-on-one with the kid. Uh, Des, I don't want to. The kid. The kid. It just sounds weird, but it's like, you don't want to put them out there. Um <laughs> And it was, it was, while it was very difficult from a work and uh, production sort of efficiency perspective, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we had a nicer week, so we were able to get outside and like have a snowball fight. And the neighbors got to watch as I just like pelted this kid with snowballs. And, you know, I just like, it was nice to just kind of step back. And while it was very difficult, you know, I, I can't do it again next week. So, Miss Mary, please, God, come back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but for one week, you know, we got there. We got there. As I say this, I know that my wife might even be listening to this live as she's taking care of him alone and just screaming at the screen, get back now. <laughs> but uh, no. Is that nap time yet? Yeah. It, I mean, we're, we're deep into nap time, so that's not good. sleeping yet. It's, yeah. it's a bad house. Uh, Anna, any chance on a rebound on a final thought? Yeah. No, I mean, I know how that goes, um, being at home with the kids and you're trying to work and like... Um, and they just love my computer and they just want to press the buttons. Yeah. And I'm like, you guys, when you press them, it tells the computer to do something. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, can we see a picture of a planet? And <clears throat> it's just, it's one thing after another. Can I listen to a song about dinosaurs? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's not stuff that is applicable to my work. But. Uh, it has been confirmed that my wife, Carrie is in fact watching this live. So that's good. And she is uh, maybe not happy. I'm calling him the kid. But uh, the one thing that he likes to do is he likes to sit quietly next to you while you're working and then at the most random moment, slap it. <laughs> and then not only do you hear the slap, you hear the, ah! and, uh, oh man. Yeah. And, um, that happens multiple times. It's a, a day. slow burn. Huh? Sounds, oh, nice. Yeah. Sounds nice. Yeah. It's just like, and then it's like, if this happens one more time, mm-hmm. 20 times, I still don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> They don't get what's going on. It's not their fault. <laughs> True. You were born in a pandemic. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. You're going to be weird when you grow up. Weirder than if I just raised you normally. Uh, Jeff, what is your final thought this week? Well, David, if in all having the kids at home all that much, you know, if you do have any issues with teeth falling out, Ooh. which would be the... Sub, which was the question we had last week, mm-hmm. the oh, trivia yeah. question. Segue. I was just like, yeah, not, not a smooth, that, not a smooth I didn't segue. Hit him that hard yeah. with the snowball. Not a smooth segue. But anyway, we did ask last week if you do lose a tooth, what's the best way to keep that tooth sort of ready to go before mm-hmm. you take it to the dentist? What should you put it in? Mm-hmm. The answer was not beer. Mm. It was also not salt water. The answer was milk. Mm-hmm. Oh. And um, shout out to Chuck, Larry, Eric. Marina and Chris, who all got the right answers. Nice. So they all scored a T-shirt. Um, and now we'll go on to this week's. Ooh, trivia. I don't even know what this one is. Yeah, before we go on to this week's, I want to do a poll as to how many manufacturing facilities have milk on site. You know, this is like mm. got to be in the first aid kit. That's a good call. Yeah, that's a good point. Because mm-hmm. it's like you're going to be the person that knows. You're going to be Chuck, Larry, uh, Chris, and someone's going to lose a tooth and just be like, "Give me the." So you're saying you're saying like buy a carton of milk, replace it weekly potentially. Well, I mean, don't in, buy ones that are so close to the expiration date. In the event like that someone bi-weekly. gets a tooth knocked out. Well, I mean, that, it's there. Yeah, you got to be prepared. Yeah, it's there for Come the on. people to enjoy. It's like enjoy all of this milk except a Dixie cup amount yeah, in the in event case. of a lost tooth. Keep a D- Dixie cup amount. Yeah, okay. just need a rolling <clears throat> Dixie cup of milk. Exactly. Uh, Jeff, what do we got this week? All right. Different type of safety question here. We are asking, where do most fatal falls occur in the house? Not the manufacturing facility, around the house. We're not supposed to answer. Where? Do not answer. Is it like a room or is it like anywhere on the property? It is a location. And I think it's safe to say everybody has one of these in their house. So it's not a silo. Okay. (laughs) That was my... It's not a Around the house where the most fatal... Man, it's not just getting hurt. It's fatal. Fatal falls. Ah, well, that's that's a good one to take into the weekend. Yeah, uplifting note, right? Go home, yeah. see all the places that are easiest to die. Wow, David. Sure. Well, that's what you're asking. That You don't have to put it that way. Oh, okay. It's more like a fun trivia question. Oh, okay. So, go home, look around your house, and find all the nice places to die. Better? 
And then don't do that. Well, Be safe in that location. Yes. Yes. Pat it. Wow. Wow, well, this podcast just took a fatal yeah. fall. Let's, let's see if we can bring her. <laughs> let's get out of here. <laughs> I did want to bring back, we did get, we have been getting a lot more feedback from uh, viewers, listeners, stuff mm-hmm. like that. So thanks to Kevin. You mentioned Kevin uh, wrote in. We also had yeah. some nice remarks from Lindsay. The one I wanted to bring up was actually from Marina because mm-hmm. we were talking a couple of episodes ago about public transport. Mm. She brought in kind of an interesting note. She said she lives in Chicago, and her biggest consideration for not using public transit was how others treat it. You know, um, mm, smoking sure. on the train, people trying to sell her stuff, worse things than that. Mm. But after selling her car during COVID and starting to utilize the buses, she saw a higher value in it. The ability to take the blue line to... O'Hare, the airport, is mm. great for tourism. Additionally, Chicago charges a number of additional fees for using Uber and Lyft to offset some of the congestion for those services. Also, there's also a fee for not, or they also charge those, that's the fee that they charge these places basically for people not using public transit. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then there's also another program where you can basically have Uber plus public transit. Mm. So a different type of setup there. So basically she kind of is taking your side of that. I was kind of, not sure that public transit could be the solution in terms of we're talking about um, vehicle prices and all that type yeah. of stuff. Mm-hmm. In her instance, she's seen a lot of benefit from using it because it was already there. And ideally, to your point, more people use it yeah. and get better over time. So you were wrong. I'm never wrong. But in this case, Marina agrees with David. You were just <laughs> less right. Uh, yeah. It's cool because it's not only pro-public transportation, but it's also pro-Chicago. Just not a lot of that right now. Really? I don't know. I love I that mean, place. Hate the bears. Well, I mean, you're just like, you feel sad for them now. Wow, that's true. Like, it's, it's been disappointing because it's not, like the rivalries, rivalry is not even a rivalry right now. Agreed. You know? It's, like uh, when I worked in a shop, they used to do, because uh, of the bear-packer rivalry, there would always be a bet, you know, like whether mm-hmm. it was lunch or you had to wear a packer shirt or bear shirt the next day in the office. But like it got to the point where it was so sad that they just stopped <laughs> betting. Yeah. Like, I mean, and if you can't gamble at lunch, come on now. Well, you could look at these awesome safety cards. Oh, yeah. That's true. You get, these are com- There's going to be a big comeback, you know? Sure. Yeah. So the other the other closing thought is it's awesome to hear from our listeners yeah. And, oh, yeah. and viewers and stuff. And comments, questions, all that kind of stuff, please keep it coming. We love sending out shirts. So well, yeah. yeah. Let me tell you how to reach us. All right. Before we get <laughs> out of here, please make sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast to email the podcast, you can reach any of us, as Jeff said, at Jeff, Anna, or David at IN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. You can also subscribe to our daily and weekly newsletters and make sure that you get the podcast in your inbox first. All right. For Jeff and Anna, I'm David Manti. This is the Today in Manufacturing podcast, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast.